7. K. Can we doubt this in reading the following narrative signed by a Bavarian officer? Lut. A. Aberlein. Spread out in the columns of one of the best-known periodicals of Germany, the Muenkner News Nachrichten, in its issue of Wednesday, October 7, 1914, page 22. Lut. Aberlein relates there the occupation of St. Die at the end of August. He entered the town at the head of a column, and while waiting for reinforcements was compelled to barricade himself in a house. Figure 9, we arrested three civilians, and a bright idea struck me. We furnished them with chairs and made them seat themselves in the middle of the street. There were supplications on one part, and some blows with the stocks of our guns on the other. One, little by little, gets terribly hardened. Finally, there they were sitting in the street. How many anguished prayers they may have muttered, I cannot say. But during the whole time their hands were joined in nervous contraction. I am sorry for them. But the stratagem was of immediate effect. The infiling directed from the houses diminished at once. We were able then to take possession of the house opposite, and thus became masters of the principal street. From that moment everyone that showed his face in the street was shot, and the artillery meanwhile kept up vigorous work. So that at about seven o'clock in the evening, when the brigade advanced to rescue us, I could report, St. Night has been emptied of all enemies. As I learned later, the regiment of reserves, which came into St. by further north, had experiences entirely similar to our own. The four civilians whom they had placed on chairs in the middle of the street were killed by French bullets. I saw them myself stretched out in the street near the hospital. The Article 28 of the Hague Convention of 1907, subscribed to by Germany, uses this language, the sacking of any town or locality, even when taken by assault, is prohibited and Article 47 runs, in occupied territory pillage is forbidden. We shall see how the German armies interpret these articles. Private Hand Schumacher 11th Battalion of Chasseurs Reserves writes in his notebook, August 8, 1914, Gouvy, Belgium, there, the Belgians having fired on some German soldiers, we started at once pillaging the merchandise warehouse. Several cases eggs, shirts, and everything that could be eaten was carried off. The safe was forced and the gold distributed among the men. As to the securities, they were torn up. This happened as early as the fourth day of the war, and it helps us to understand a technical article on the operations of the military treasury dears Almeister in Felde in the Berliner Tageblatt of the 26th of November, 1914, in which an economic phenomenon of rather unusual import is recited as a simple incident. Experience has demonstrated that very much more money is forwarded by postal orders from the theater of operations to the interior of the country than vice versa, as, in accordance with the continual practice of the German armies, pillaging is only a prelude to incendiarism. The sub-officer Hermann Levitt 160th Regiment of Infantry, 8th Corps writes, the enemy occupied the village of Biver and the edge of the wood behind it. The 3rd Company advanced in first line. We carried the village and then pillaged and burned almost all the houses, and Private Schiller 133d Infantry, 19th Corps writes, Our first fight was at Habes, Belgium on the 24th of August. The 2nd Battalion entered the village, ransacked the houses, pillaged them, and burned those from which shots had been fired, and Private Sebastian Ratio 3rd Bavarian Infantry, 1st Bavarian Corps writes, The first village we burned was Peru, Murthy et Moselle. After this the dance began, throughout the villages, one after the other, over the fields and pastures we went on our bicycles up to the ditches at the edge of the road, and there sat down to eat our cherries, they emulate each other in their thefts, 
They steal anything that comes to hand and keep records of the thefts, schnapps, ween, marmalade, ziggurin, writes this private soldier, and the elegant officer of the 178th Saxon Regiment, who was at first indignant at the vandalismus of his men, further on admits that he himself, on the 1st of September, that Riffle, stole, from a house near the Hotel Moderna superb waterproof and a photographic apparatus for Felix, all steel, without distinction or grade, or of arms, or of cause, and even in the ambulances the doctors steal. Take this example from the notebook of the soldier Johann's 4th Reserve Regiment of Erzots, at Brussels, October 5, 1914. An automobile arrived at the hospital laden with war booty one piano, two sewing machines, many albums, and all sorts of other things, two sewing machines, as war booty. From whom were these stolen? Beyond a doubt from two humble Belgian women. And for whom were they stolen? The I, I must admit that, out of the forty notebooks, or thereabout, that I have handled, there are six or seven that do not relate any exactions, either from hypocritical reticence or because there are some regiments which do not make war in this vile fashion, and there are as many as three notebooks whose writers, in relating these ignoble things, express astonishment, indignation, and sorrow, I will not give the names of these, because they deserve our regard, and I wish to spare them the risk of being someday blamed or punished by their own, the first, the private ex who belongs to the 65th Infantry, Regiment of Landor, says of certain of his companions in arms, figure 10, they do not behave as soldiers, but rather as highwaymen, bandits, and brigands, and are a dishonor to our regiment and to our army, another, loot, while the 77th Infantry of Reserves, says, no discipline, the pioneers are well nigh worthless, as to the artillery, it is a band of robbers, the third, Private Zeal the 12th Infantry of Reserves, 1st Corps, writes, figure 11, unfortunately, I am forced to make note of a fact which should not have occurred, but there are to be found, even in our own army, creatures who are no longer men, but hogs, to whom nothing is sacred, one of these broke into a sacristy, it was locked, and where the blessed sacrament was kept, a Protestant, out of respect, had refused to sleep there, this man used it as a deposit for his excrements. How is it possible there should be such creatures? Last night one of the men of the land or more than 35 years of age, married, tried to arrate the daughter of the inhabitant where he had taken up his quarters a mere girl and when the father intervened he pressed his bayonet against his breast. Beyond these three, who are still worthy of the name of soldiers, the other 30 are all alike. And the same soul if we can talk of souls among such as these animates them low and frantic. I say they are all about alike, but there are shades of difference. There are some who, like subtle jurists, make distinctions, blaming here and approving their door or ein example and platze. Others laugh and say, cried is cried, or sometimes they add in French, to emphasize their derision. Ja, ja, siest loger, and some among them, when their ugly business is done, turn to their book of canticles and sing psalms, such as the Saxon lute, riling who relates how one day he left his drinking bout to assist at the Gottesdienst, but having eaten too much and drunken too much, had to quit the holy place in haste, and the private Moritz Grosse of the 177th Infantry, who, after depicting the sacking of St. Vith, August 22nd, the sacking of Dinant, August 23rd, writes this phrase, throwing of incendiary grenades into the houses, and in the evening a military chorus, now let all give thanks to God, figure 12, 
they're all of a like tenor. Now, if we consider that I could exchange the preceding texts with others quite similar, quite as cynical, and taken at random, for instance from the notebook of the reservist Lautenschlager of the 1st Battalion, 66th Regiment of Infantry, or the notebook of the Private Edward Hull of the 8th Corps, or the notebook of the sub-officer Reinhold Cohen of the 2nd Battalion of Pomeranian Pioneers, or that of the sub-officer Otto Brandt of the 2nd Section of Reserve Ambulances, or of the reservist Martin Mueller of the 100th Saxon Reserve, or of Lute, Karl Zimmer of the 55th Infantry, or that of the Private Eric Kressler of the 100th Grenadiers, 1st Saxon Corps, and C. And if we will note that, among the exactions reported above, there are very few that are the work of isolated brutes, such as, unfortunately, may be found even in the most noble armies, but that, on the contrary, the crimes represented here are collective actions in obedience to service orders, and such as rest upon and dishonor not only the individual but the entire troop, the officers, and the nation, and if we will further note that these thirty notebooks taken at random Bavarian, Saxon, Pomeranian, Brandyburger, or from the provinces of Bogdan and the Rhine must of necessity represent hundreds and thousands of others quite similar, as we may judge from the frightful monotony of their recitals, if we consider all this, we must, I think, be forced to admit that these atrocities are nothing less than the practical application of a methodically organized system, VII, HM the Emperor of Germany, by ratifying the Hague Convention of 1907, covenanted Article 24 that it is forbidden see to kill or wound an enemy who, having laid down his arms, or being without means of defense, has surrendered unconditionally, D to declare that no quarter shall be given. Had the German armies respected these covenants, throughout Belgian and French reports depositions such as the following abound. This is taken from a French captain of the 288th Infantry, on the 22d. In the evening, I learned that in the woods, about 150 meters north of the square formed by the intersection of the Great Cologne Trench with the road from Vauxhall's Palamise to St. Remy, there were corpses of French soldiers shot by the Germans. I went to the spot and found the bodies of about 30 soldiers within a small space, most of them prone, but several still kneeling, and all having a precisely similar wound a bullet through the ear, one only, seriously wounded in his lower parts, could still speak, and told me that the Germans before leaving had ordered them to lie down and that then had them shot through the head, that the already wounded had secured indulgence by stating that he was the father of three small children. The skulls of these unfortunates were scattered, the guns, broken at the stock, were scattered here and there, and the blood had besprinkled the bushes to such an extent that in coming out of the woods my cape was scattered with it, it was a veritable shambles. I quote this testimony, not to base any accusations upon it, but simply to give precision to our indictment. I will not lay stress upon it as evidence, for I wish to keep to the rule which I have laid down to have records of nothing but German sources of information. I will quote here the text of an order of the day addressed by General Stinger, in command of the 58th German Brigade, on the 26th of August, to the troops under his orders, from this day forward no further prisoners will be taken, all prisoners will be massacred, the wounded, whether in arms or not in arms, shall be massacred, even the prisoners already gathered in convoys will be massacred, no living enemy must remain behind us, signed first lieutenant in command of the company, Stoi. Colonel commanding the regiment, Neubauer, general in command of the brigade, Stinger, about 30 soldiers of Stinger's brigade 112th and 142d regiments of Bogdan infantry were questioned, 
I have read their depositions, taken under oath and signed with their own names, all confirming the fact that this order of the day was given to them on the 26th of August, in one place by the Major Mosbach, in another by Lute, Curtis, and C. Most of these witnesses said that they were ignorant whether the order was carried out, but three among them testified that it was carried out under their own eyes in the forest of Thionville, where ten or twelve wounded French, already made prisoners by a battalion, were done away with. Two others of the witnesses saw the order carried out along the road of Thionville, where several wounded, found in the ditches by the company as it marched past, were killed. Of course, I cannot here produce the original autograph of General Stinger, nor am I here called upon to furnish the names of the German prisoners who gave this testimony, but I shall have no trouble to establish entirely similar crimes on the faith of German autographs. For instance, we find in the notebook of Private Albert Del Fossi 111th Infantry of Reserves, 14th Reserve Corps, figure 13, in the woods near St. Remy, 445th of September found a very fine cow and a calf killed, and again the corpses of Frenchmen horribly mutilated. Must we understand that these bodies were mutilated by loyal weapons, torn perhaps by shells? This may be, but it would be a charitable interpretation, which is belied by this newspaper heading. Figures 14 and 15, J-A-U-E-R-S-C-H-E-S-T-A-G-A-B-A-L-A-D-E and Licker and Zager Fuerstad and Craze Jower Jower, Sontag, Den 18, October, 1914, N.R., 245, 106, Yarging, this is a heading of a newspaper picked up in a German trench, Jower is a city of Silesia, about 50 kilometers west of Breslau where two battalions of the 154th Regiment of Saxon Infantry are garrisoned, one Sunday morning, October 18th, doubtless at the hour when the inhabitants women and children were wending their way to church, there was distributed throughout the quiet little town, and through the hamlets and villages of the district, the issue of this local paper with the following inscription, a day of honor for our regiment, September 24th, 1914, as the title of an article of some 200 lines, sent from the front by a member of the regiment the sub-officer Clement of the 1st Company, 154th Infantry Regiment. Illustration, General von K.U.S.M.A.N.E.K. whose stubborn defense of Pajamissal made it one of the most notable sieges of history. Photo from Underwood and Underwood. Illustration, C.A.P.D. L.I.U.D. Otto W.A.D.D.I.G.N. whose submarine exploits have done more damage to England's Navy than all Germany's gunners. Photo from the Photo News. The sub-officer Clem relates how, on the 24th of September, his regiment having left Hanonville in the morning, accompanied by Austrian batteries, suddenly came up against a double fire of infantry and artillery. Their losses were terrible, and yet the enemy was still invisible. Finally, says this officer, it was found that the bullets came from above, from trees which the French soldiers had climbed. From this point let me quote verbatim. Figure 16, they're brought down from the trees like squirrels. To get a hot reception with bayonet stock, they'll need no more doctor's care. We are not fighting loyal enemies, but treacherous brigands. Note it is scarcely necessary to point out that it is no more treacherous, but quite as lawful, to fire from the branches of a tree as from a window, or from a trench, and that, on the contrary, it is rather more venturesome and more courageous, as the sequel of the story will show. We crossed the clearing at a bound, the foe is hidden here and there among the bushes, and now we are upon them, no quarter will be given, we fire standing, that will, very few fire kneeling, nobody dreams of shelter, we finally reach a slight depression in the ground, 
and there the red trousers are lying in masses, here and there dead or wounded, we club or stab the wounded, for we know that these rascals, as soon as we are gone by, will fire from behind, we find one Frenchman lying at full length upon his face, but he is counterfeiting death, a kick from a robust fusilier gives him notice that we are there, turning over he asks for quarter, but he gets the reply, oh, is that the way, blackguard, that your tools work, and he is pinned to the ground, on one side of me I hear curious cracklings, they're the blows which a soldier of the 154th is vigorously showering upon the bald bait of a Frenchman with the stock of his gun, he very wisely chose for this work a French gun, for fear of breaking his own, some men of particularly sensitive soul grant the French wounded the grace to finish them with a bullet, but others scatter here and there, wherever they can, their clubbings and stabbings, our adversaries had thought bravely, they were elite troops that we had before us, they had allowed us to come within thirty, and even within ten, meters to close, their arms and knapsacks thrown down in heaps showed that they wanted to fly, but upon the appearance of our, gray phantoms, terror paralyzed them, and, on the narrow path in which they crowded, the German bullets brought them the order to halt, there they are at the very entrance of their leafy hiding places, lying down moaning and asking for quarter, but whether their wounds are light or grievous, the brave fusiliers save their country the expensive care which would have to be given to such a number of enemies, now the recital continues very ornate, very literary, and the writer relates how his imperial highness Prince Oscar of Prussia, being advised of the exploits perhaps, indeed, other exploits than these of the 154th and of the regiment of grenadiers, which forms the brigade with the 154th, declared them both worthy of the name of, King's Brigade, and the recital closes with this phrase, when night came on, with a prayer of thankfulness on our lips we fell asleep to await the coming day, then adding, by way of postscript, a little phrase, Heimkehr von Kempf, he carries the note with prose and verse together to his lieutenant, who countersigns it, certified as correct, Denim, lieutenant commanding the company, and then he sends his paper to his town of Jauer, where he is quite confident that he will find some newspaper publisher to accept it, printers to set it up, and a whole population to enjoy it. Now, let me ask any reader whatever be his country if he can imagine it possible for such a tale to be spread abroad in any paper in his language, in his native town, for the edification of his wife and his children. In what other country than in Germany is such a thing conceivable? Not in France, at all events. Now, if my readers want another document to show how customary it is in the German army to mutilate the wounded, well, I will borrow one from the notebook of Private Paul Gloed of the 9th Battalion of Pioneers, 9th Corps, figures 17 and 18, August 12, 1914, in Belgium. One can get an idea of the fury of our soldiers in seeing the destroyed villages. Not one house left untouched. Everything eatable is requisitioned by the unauthored soldiers. Several heaps of men and women put to execution. Young pigs are running about looking for their mothers. Dogs chained. Without food or drink. And the houses about them on fire. But the just anger of our soldiers is accompanied also by pure vandalism. In the villages. Already emptied of their inhabitants. The houses are set on fire. I feel sorry for this population. If they have made use of disloyal weapons, after all, they are only defending their own country. The atrocities which these non-combatants are still committing are revenged after a savage fashion. Mutilations of the wounded are the order of the day. 
This was written as early as the 12th of August the 10th day after the invasion of innocent Belgium and these wounded creatures that were tortured had done nothing more than defend their land against Germany their native land which Germany had sworn, not only to respect but, if need be, to defend, and yet, in many countries Pharisees reading these lines will go forward tranquilly to their churches, or their temples, or their banking houses, or their foreign offices, saying, in what do these things concern us? This is war, yes, it is war, but war such as was never made by the soldiers of Marseille, such as never will be made by the soldiers of Chauffre, such as never has been made and never will be made by France, mother of arts, of arms, and of laws, yes, it is war, but war such as Ella would not have carried on if he had subscribed to certain stipulations, for, in subscribing them, he would have awakened to the notion, which alone distinguishes the civilized man from the barbarian distinguishes a nation from a horde respect for the word once given, yes, it is war, but war the theory of which could only be made up by such pedant megalomaniacs as the Julius von Hartmanns, the Bernhardis, and the Triichs, the theory which accords to the elect people the right to uproot from the laws and customs of war what centuries of humanity, of Christianity, and chivalry have at great pains injected into it, the theory of systematic and organized ferocity, today exposed to public reprobation, not only as an odious thing, but no less silly and absurd, for have we not reached the ridiculous when the incendiaries of Louvain, and Malines, and Rhymes, the assassins of women and children, and of the wounded, already find it necessary to repudiate their actions, at least in words, and to impose upon the servility of their 93 culture trigger such denials as this, it is not true that we are making war in contempt of the law of nations, nor that our soldiers are committing acts of cruelty, or of insubordination, or in discipline. We will carry this conflict through to the end as a civilized people, and we answer for this upon our good name and upon our honor. Why this humble and pitiful repudiation? Perhaps because their theory of war rested upon the postulate of their invincibility, and that, in the first shiver of their defeat upon the Marne, it collapsed, and now their repudiation quickly follows in dread of the Lex Talionis. I will stop here, I leave the conclusion to the Allied armies, already in sight of victory. Note, General Stinger's order of the day, mentioned on page transcriber's note, blank in original, was communicated orally by various officers in various units of the brigade, consequently, the form in which we have received it may possibly be incomplete or altered, in face of any doubt, the French government has ordered an inquiry to be made into the prisoners' camps. Not one of the prisoners to whom our magistrates presented the order of the day in the above-mentioned form found a word to alter. They one and all declared that this was the order of the day which had been orally given in the ranks. Repeated from man to man, many added the names of the officers who had communicated the order to them, some related in what a vile way it had been carried out under their eyes. All the evidence of these German soldiers was collected in a legal manner, under the sanction of an oath and it is after reading their depositions that I wrote the order of the day. The text of all this evidence was transmitted to all the French embassies and legations in foreign countries on the 24th of October, 1914. Every neutral wishing to clear his conscience is at liberty to obtain it from the representatives of the French Republic, who will certainly respond willingly. The recruit, by H.O.R.D.N.S.E. Affiliate he had a woodland look half-startled, they as if his eyes, light-thirsty had not learned to awake accustomed on earth's joyous day, a child, whose merriment and wonder burned in harmless flame, 
Even his uniform was but a lie to hide his wind-wild grace, whose limbs were rounded youth, too supple, warm, to hold the measure of the street-made pace. Music and marching colors in the sky the crowded station, then the train farewell, for all he had the glance, exultant, shy, that seemed to marvel, more to see to tell, yet with his breathing moved, hid by his coat, a numbered, metal disc, strapped round his throat, American reply to Britain's blockade order by William J. Bryan, American Secretary of State with the publication on April 6, 1915 of its note in reply to the British government's order in council, proclaiming a virtual blockade against commerce to and from Germany printed in the April, 1915, number of the New York Times current history the American government rested its case. The text of the note to Great Britain follows, Washington, March 30, 1915, the Secretary of State to the American Ambassador at London, you are instructed to deliver the following to His Majesty's government in reply to your nose. 1.795 and 1.798 of March 15th, the Government of the United States has given careful consideration to the subjects treated in the British notes of March 13th and March 15th, and to the British order in council of the latter date. These communications contain matters of grave importance to neutral nations. They appear to menace their rights of trade and intercourse, not only with belligerents but also with one another. They call for frank comment in order that misunderstandings may be avoided. The government of the United States deems it its duty, therefore, speaking in the sincerest spirit of friendship, to make its own view and position with regard to them unmistakably clear. The order in council of the 15th of March would constitute, were its provisions to be actually carried into effect as they stand, a practical assertion of unlimited belligerent rights over neutral commerce within the whole European area and an almost unqualified denial of the sovereign rights of the nations now at peace. This government takes it for granted that there can be no question what those rights are. A nation's sovereignty over its own ships and citizens under its own flag on the high seas in time of peace island of course, and limited, and that sovereignty suffers no diminution in time of war, except in so far as the practice and consent of civilized nations has limited it by the recognition of certain now clearly determined rights which it is conceded may be exercised by nations which are at war. A belligerent nation has been conceded the right of visit and search, and the right of capture and condemnation. If upon examination a neutral vessel is found to be engaged in a neutral service or to be carrying contraband of war intended for the enemy's government or armed forces, it has been conceded the right to establish and maintain a blockade of an enemy's ports and coasts and to capture and condemn any vessel taken in trying to break the blockade. It is even conceded the right to detain and take to its own ports for judicial examination all vessels which it suspects for substantial reasons to be engaged in a neutral or contraband service and to condemn them if the suspicion is sustained. But such rights, long clearly defined both in doctrine and practice, have hitherto been held to be the only permissible exceptions to the principle of universal equality of sovereignty on the high seas as between belligerents and nations not engaged in war. It is confidently assumed that His Majesty's government will not deny that it is a rule sanctioned by general practice that, even though a blockade should exist and the doctrine of contraband as to unblockaded territory be rigidly enforced, innocent shipments may be freely transported to and from the United States through neutral countries to belligerent territory, without being subject to the penalties of contraband traffic or breach of blockade, much less to detention, requisition, or confiscation. Moreover, 
the rules of the Declaration of Paris of 1856 among them that free ships make free goods will hardly at this day be disputed by the signatories of that solemn agreement. His Majesty's government, like the government of the United States, have often and explicitly held that these rights represent the best usage of warfare in the dealings of belligerents with neutrals at sea. In this connection I desire to direct attention to the opinion of the Chief Justice of the United States in the case of the Peterhof, which arose out of the Civil War, and to the fact that that opinion was unanimously sustained in the award of the Arbitration Commission of 1871, to which the case was presented at the request of Great Britain, from that time to the Declaration of London of 1909, adopted with modifications by the Order in Council of the 23rd of October last. These rights have not been seriously questioned by the British government, and no claim on the part of Great Britain of any justification for interfering with the clear rights of the United States and its citizens as neutrals could be admitted. To admit it would be to assume an attitude of a neutrality toward the present enemies of Great Britain, which would be obviously inconsistent with the solemn obligations of this government in the present circumstances and for Great Britain to make such a claim would be for her to abandon and set at naught the principles for which she has consistently and earnestly contended in other times and circumstances. The note of His Majesty's Principal Secretary of State for Foreign Affairs, which accompanies the order in council, and which bears the same date, notifies the government of the United States of the establishment of a blockade which island is defined by the terms of the order in council to include all the coasts and ports of Germany and every port of possible access to enemy territory. But the novel and quite unprecedented feature of that blockade, if we are to assume it to be properly so defined, is that it embraces many neutral ports and coasts, bars access to them, and subjects all neutral ships seeking to approach them to the same suspicion that would attach to them were they bound for the ports of the enemies of Great Britain, and to unusual risks and penalties. It is manifest that such limitations, risks, and liabilities placed upon the ships of a neutral power on the seas, beyond the right of visit and search and the right to prevent the assage, 